You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 10, numero 10 of the Forever on the Fly podcast. Today's episode is going to be solamente en español. Just <laughs> kidding, everybody. <laughs> uh, your bi-weekly dose of aviation, inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Jose. And I'm Diane. And we're here to get you guys hooked on aviation. So, senorita, you had a pretty interesting week. <laughs> I sure um, did. Heard you uh, hurt your hand on a helicopter door. <laughs> I did. Oh, it's not funny. I um, was taken out mm-hmm. of flight status for a week. You were taken out. I was, and you know what? It's unfortunate. It doesn't look that bad. It, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot better. It's mm-hmm. been two weeks now. Um, you know the whole can. You know the green whole can that's the toy. Yeah. Well, that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> they did put me back on flight status, which is good. I'm glad to be back at it. I'll but sure. I got a week off and I got to go home and see my family. And it was my first time since COVID. So a little bit of a bittersweet thing. It really just shows the fragility of what we do. You hurt your hand on the helicopter door and you get taken out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so be careful out there, folks. Yeah, guys. Life is dangerous. Yeah. I am so stoked to introduce the lady of the hour. She currently sits as chair of the board for HAI, or Helicopter Association International, if you guys are unfamiliar. She's an experienced Army veteran with extensive time flying Blackhawks, the S-76 for Children's Hospital in LA, and in fact, she was the production test pilot for Sikorsky for many a years, and now she flies the 139s, AW-139s for the corporate world. She also has a passion for sharing her knowledge on the importance of networking and currently teaches military to civilian workshops. And in this episode, we'll delve into her excitement and vision for vertical lift aircraft of the future. The military to civilian thing is so important. I have so many military pilots reach out to me and ask, how do I transition to a civilian job? And... I don't have all the answers, so it's so awesome that Stacy's here to share her knowledge on that. And if you guys stick around at the end of the episode, we're going to give you guys some information, dates and locations of some upcoming aviation networking events that hopefully you guys can look into and make an appearance. And now it is time to bring out our next guest, Miss Stacy Sheard. Stacy Sheard. One day. Everybody's going to have a cute little quad in their driveway. And we have to hold on to an infrastructure that everybody wants to tear away. Hi, I'm Stacy Sheard, and I'm forever on the fly. Stacy Sheard, legendary Stacy. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I was listening to some earlier interviews that you guys did. You did uh, uh, Aaron Fitzgerald. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. He, he I, um, I know him. I didn't know. I listened to some other ones, but he was the one person I did know. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, for He's sure. pretty popular. Yeah. Such a cool dude. Well, you know, I met him a long time ago, so he was he was popular just to me <laughs> at that point. No, but it's very cool. It, it was a great interview too. Oh, thank job. you, I appreciate that. So you're currently in kind of towards the end of your year stint as HAI's chair. 
How has this last year been? It must have been so challenging with COVID and how the industry just kind of got turned upside down. What were some of the challenges that you faced um, this last year holding that position? Well, it's just cancel. You know, it's the everything's getting canceled. And then you have to figure out how to do the same thing you do in person online. It's not, you know, it's not the same. Right. So, so it's the, it's the best, uh, but it is the most HAI has done a wonderful job this year of getting online and doing more, you know, webinars and just getting out there and talking to people and getting people together to talk. And then a lot of background networking right. um, because we have to. Uh, and I think everybody's having a little bit of withdrawals from not being around other people. So I know, so Heli Expo was supposed to be in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and it was supposed to have just happened. And uh, I'm still supposed to be on the Heli Expo high right now. And then after that, I usually hit women in aviation. So, uh, so both of them down, mm, down not happening this year except yeah. for online WAI right. happened online I was looking forward to New Orleans and HAI is always a fun event to or Heli Expo is always a really fun event to go to and New Orleans would have been a good one yeah, yeah. the last New one Orleans I went to was uh I went to Atlanta uh, I'm actually from Atlanta so it was kind of cool I get to coincide that trip to see my family and go to the expo and yeah, that was a good oh, time. Oh, that's great. Atlanta was a fun one. I enjoyed that because it doesn't all, often go to Atlanta. Right, so right. I think, uh, yeah, but next year, uh, Dallas. So there's that. Yeah, home, so. of, home of like all the manufacturers you got. I'm definitely uh, going to that you one. You got Airbus there. I'm, mean, going, I'm going to Dallas for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Me too. I mean, I feel like after this whole lockdown, I mean, I, I wanted to go to, the, to New Orleans and now I just feel like we have to go. Yeah. Already, <laughs> already called in sick. <laughs> So can you work that week, Jose? Mm, I think I'm going to be sick that week. Uh, I think I'm be sick. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's amazing. So um, what are you guys both? You're, you're both flying at Helenet. And so mm-hmm. what are you're flying organ, tra- organ transplants? And that's in the. Yes, ma'am. We're in the in the one oh nine. In the one oh nine and sometimes the twin star. So yeah, we've been doing that. Jose does the news. I, I haven't gotten into the ENG side of things. I, I started off with charter. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I, I work with her. I, I do charters and like uh, the organ transplants, but I also do the ENG stuff. We also do VIP. It's a little bit slow right now on the VIP side, but it's starting to pick back up again now that everything is starting to open back up and so that's really good. Yeah. That starting, is good. Starting yeah. to see more it's stuff rolling Same thing in. on the East Coast. So in New York, it's starting to pick back up. Um, you know, it's been kind of a ghost town. So, yeah. and it's like a little eerie when you're in the air and there's no one else flying around and you're used, yeah. you're used to all this chatter. So for us, you know, we use, we're on uh, 2302 over the rivers here and, um, you know, you're used to all the, well, not on the river, but you have the common traffic advisory and you're talking to each other and chit chatting and it's, uh, it's a ghost. Quiet. Yeah. I would imagine with that busy airspace, you know, it's kind of eerie. You're probably wondering if your radio works or not. (laughs) You're like, is anybody else there? there? Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I think probably one of the scariest (laughs) landings that I've ever done was on the helipad on the East river. 
you get so close to the bridge. I was like, are you serious? We're going even closer. I felt like the rotor disc tip was right at the edge of the bridge. And there's two other helicopters right beside you. Like you I'm like, think thin, think thin. I think we could squeeze in here. But oh my gosh, it felt so sketchy. I guess you can't get used to it. It's a tight fit. I can remember my first time flying into uh, East 34th Street too. It's a tight fit. And I remember coming in and there's two helicopters running on either side of me. And, uh, you know, okay, just, you know, Slip it on on that spot. yeah, don't it, get it right in that, so yeah, so I think, yeah. And, and in that, you know, a lot of times when you depart out of that, uh, heliport, sometimes you may have a, a bit of a tailwind or something, but you have n- not a lot of options when you're, when you're together that way, other than backing out, backing out. So, yeah. I'm sure yeah. in the summer that can be challenging if you're close to max and it's hot. Out. I mean, I know New York, it's really hot. That is just, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So in that, in those cases, I think some people wait, they'll wait for someone else to depart and then maybe a little taxi around and then. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Well, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's get to know Stacy. How did you first get involved with aviation and where did you find your passion for it? Well, um, so I grew up in Clovis, California. I was born in Fresno. No and, way. Uh, yeah. I've been so, there. Uh, I've been there. I went to the rodeo yeah, out there. I know, right? <laughs> so I was, I, I'm from Clovis and I, um, I grew up there and I can remember as, you know, being an 11, 12 year old watching the helicopters fly over me, uh, to go to the fires in the summer. So I lived in the San Joaquin Valley. And it's all agriculture there. So um, there was a heliport not far, just a few miles down the way from uh, down the way from me, called Rogers Helicopters, mm-hmm. which is still around. And uh, I rode my bicycle there. I was probably twelve or something, and I asked him for a job. And I uh, just said, you know, I'll do anything. I'll sweep the hangar and clean uh, just to be near the helicopters. So that was the beginning. I just sort of watched them fly over and thought. I want to be in one of those going somewhere, you know, away from here. So, so yeah, that's where, that's where I ended up. What? That's going crazy. away. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah, did, did they give you a job? can take you away. Did they What's give, that? Did they give you a job at Rogers? Did they? No. Yeah. They, yeah, oh, they denied me. Come they, on, yeah, Rogers. they denied me the job. And I, if Rogers you know, is listening right now. The road, like, um, <laughs> I had gone on. So I, I went and I flew tours in the Grand Canyon. I worked for Sundance. Um, mm. And then, uh, you know, I was in the Army. But I, I do have a huge appreciation for military, uh, obviously. And I do a lot of military to civilian transitioning. So um, typically in the past, I had uh, been one of the cohorts that run the military to civilian workshop, transition workshop at the Heli Expo. I know I've had so many people approach me because I mean, I was in the Coast Guard, but I didn't fly in the Coast Guard. So I didn't, I don't know anything really about transitioning from military pilot to civilian pilot. So that's going to be really useful information to people. I get so many requests. I'm like, I really don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, so, so well, um, yeah, but you don't know, but you know, you know, the right people, the right people. We know Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are a lot more than me, but yeah, I mean, it really, you're, you're only ever one person away from having an answer anywhere in this industry. So very true. A, that's a common thing, very but true. yeah, I, I mean, 
I, I can, uh, I, there are tons of mentors out there and, and you're probably one of them. You don't have to have been in the military in order to mentor people right. uh, transitioning out of the military. Not at all. So you went from flying in the military, transitioning into tours in the Grand Canyon flying for Sundance. And then where did you go after that? Then I went to Helenet and I flew the uh, S76A++ for Children's Hospital Los Angeles. And I did a little bit of news on the side here and there and some corporate VIP stuff and organ transplant, things like that. Uh, after that, I went to work for Elite Aviation. They had uh, one helicopter and a whole bunch of jets. And uh, I worked there and I was a single pilot IFR captain in a Bell 430. The recession hit and downturn happened, and um, I had been uh, attending Heli Expos every year. And um, just about at the same time they sold their helicopter, I was I had been talking to Sikorsky at the time, and I got hired by Sikorsky Aircraft Corporation. So I spent the next seven years as a production test pilot for Sikorsky. Wow, and, oh, uh, wow. so impressive! Yeah, that is impressive. Man, that's oh, quite the resume. <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun, it was a great job, and there was uh, there was a lot of variety. I loved it. And um, after that, I went to work uh, to fly an AW one thirty nine, so an Agusta for uh, Mass Mutual, up in uh, uh, outside of Boston in Massachusetts. And then I came back, um, Sikorsky's based, the, uh, the commercial side of Sikorsky's based uh, just outside of Philadelphia in, in Pennsylvania. So I was here in PA for about seven years, went, went up to Massachusetts, and then, um, and then someone called me about an Augusta 139 job back in Philly, and that's where I am today. So nice. I came back wow. and uh, it was a great opportunity and it was a hard one to pass up. So I took the opportunity and I've been here ever since. On the side, I, um, I'm, this year I'm the chair of the Helicopter Association International's Board of Directors. And uh, this is, a, uh, let's see, I'm in my fifth year on the Board of Directors. And then next year will be my Probably final year, I would imagine. Six years is probably is probably good for a board of directors because there are other boards out there and other um, other avenues that I like to pursue. Like uh, out in Los Angeles, I was just this morning on a uh, meeting with SoCal Rotors, and mm -hmm. uh, so I still attend those, the old PHPA. Yeah. And then um, out here we have the Eastern Region Helicopter Council. So uh, I like to attend the meetings out here too. And there is a lot about um, the routing structures and, and the, you know, the noise issues that we experience in big metropolitan areas like yeah. New York city and Hamptons and all that. So very, very similar to Los Angeles. Yeah. We have a lot of noise issues here. <laughs> yes, yeah. I know. Yes. I know. We get lots of complaints, but we do our best to fly neighborly and have some specified routes or at least try to change up the routes. You know, if we went one direction going to a hospital, we'll go around the different way and try not to fly over the same houses twice and try not to piss off uh, too many people because <laughs> that's never good for yeah. business. I always thought it was cool. Like when I looked, when I was a kid like you, you know, like you look up and you hear a helicopter, I'm like, oh my God, that's pretty cool. 
I never understood. It's like, calling oh, you, right? Yeah, it's yeah, calling yeah. you. And you're looking up and you're like, oh, where is it going? I'm going right? to go there. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then you mix it up the best you can, um, you know, and it's always you're trading. You're taking away noise from someone else and probably gifting it to the next gifting neighborhood. Else. You know? I, like, I like that. <laughs> We're gifting it. Like, you know what? The next time we get a noise complaint, I'm just going to tell the chief pilot, just tell them that we're gifting them this beautiful <laughs> view of a helicopter. A lot of people don't get to see them. So it's a once yeah. in a lifetime opportunity. <laughs> we have to pitch it to yeah. them. We got to pitch it to them. And yeah, often when I was in LA, they didn't know why they would call up and, uh, you know, and you'd have to answer for it. And, uh, and so I remember saying, I, I had to fly low. I'm really, really sorry. I had a child on board. They can't breathe. If the higher you fly, the more difficult it is for them to breathe. So it, that was the best flying air ambulance is just very helpful because at least someone says, oh. I read in the article for Rotor Magazine, had a lot of really awesome information about your background and your journey and the things that you're doing for HAI. And one thing that you mentioned was how HAI is really focused on uniting the global helicopter community. And what are some things that you see are uh, beneficial in doing that? And what are some of the goals that you've had while you've been chair of HAI to accomplish that? Well, I, I think we started the year with a lot of goals, which kind of had to push aside with right. all the great changes that we've had this year. And one of them is really it is Zoom or or, or this kind of conversation, because mm-hmm. I've spoken probably with more people than I ever would have uh, before the Zoom age. Yeah, the International Partnership Program is a really a great endeavor. Last year, uh, the chair of the HAI board was Jan Becker, who is Australian, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, the Beckers own a helicopter company in Australia. Um, and so, basically it was, we are a global, we are such a small industry and we are very connected. If you've been to Heli Expo, you've probably met international members of HAI. And, and there are a lot of similar issues that we may have solved in one, in one country and have a great answer for solving a problem and can just show, you know, so someone doesn't have to, you know, rewrite a manual or, or figure out a new, you know, reinventing the wheel each time is never a good thing. So they can take good information and use it in their country. So, so I think right now, one of the big countries that we're trying to create an alliance with is India. Um, they, uh, you know, they have, it's, it's all, I've flown in India uh, when I worked for Sikorsky and it is very much an airplane society mm. and it's very rigid um, you know, I, I never took off present position from an airport. There, there are all these small little issues that could make flying so much easier. And everything was IFR. You had to file IFR everywhere you went. Um, so, you know, there is uh, going into the future, you know, where we are now with general aviation, where we are one of the best places to be in general aviation just because we have such freedoms here. Sure. Well, they don't have the same freedoms in a lot of other places. And, uh, and, and there's also not a lot of access to general aviation in a lot of other places just because of the money Mm -hmm. and the lack of sponsors, sponsorship or teaching or training someone how to fly. It's expensive and they have to look for sponsors with money. Um, and so, uh, HAI, Women in Aviation International, there's all these organizations that really try to uh, push forward scholarships and sponsorships and, and some way to globally unite to get 
the global aviation community in the air and flying and every country to be able to supply its own pilots and maintenance technicians and everybody on their own. And how do you do it? And what are the best ways? How do you train? So we have that information. And instead of just, you know, holding on to the knowledge and not letting anybody else know, I think it's all about just sharing our knowledge with everyone else, making it easier for them. So that's, in essence, that's what it is. And also it makes them stronger. I think a country that has a small general aviation industry that's just starting to build up, they can say they have the backing of, you know, say the NBAA or Mm -hmm. HAI or AOPA, you know, that they are consulting with. And uh, and this is where all of these rules come from. And it helps, you know, governments that are starting down this road, it helps them to put um, rules that is similar to ours in place so they can facilitate. So it doesn't take years and years and years to come up with new rulings like it. it, I mean, the FAA, typically it can take years to come up with a new rule. Um, It is unusual lately that for the uh, urban air mobility uh, infrastructure, they've been able to put out rules a lot faster because they need to keep up because it's growing so quickly. So, um, so we've even been able to get better just as, you know, the FAA. So it's, it's been, it's been a great couple of years actually to get us on a speed track. Urban air mobility is just kind of pushing us. So, so it's great. It's great to be pushed by technology. I mean, similar with Tesla. So yeah. to be pushed, yeah, I, I think it's great. And I, you know, and, and people might laugh, but truly, I don't know if you remember the Jetsons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, One day, everybody's going to have a cute little quad in their driveway. Totally. And you're going to want to go somewhere. And we have to hold on to an infrastructure that everybody wants to tear away because mm-hmm. it's, you know, a helicopter is not accessible to the common you know, citizen. Mm-hmm. Person, uh, yeah. The common New Yorker can't afford a helicopter flight over to JFK or a helicopter flight from, say, Burbank over to LAX to get on their mm-hmm. plane and, and miss all the traffic. So they don't have that access, but but it's becoming more accessible. Uh, and then one day it'll be quieter and it'll be more electric and it will transport people without roads. Yeah, some of the so. EV toll stuff that they're starting to produce and and oh man it's kind of insane that's crazy the world has gotten so crowded and traffic has gotten so bad i think anybody's looking for a way to get to their you know destinations faster and cheaper and more efficiently the infrastructure is there it's just yeah it it, it is there it's just uh finding a way for all these aircraft to fly through the air and practice avoidance you know like we can avoid obstacles with our equipment with equipment that's installed on our aircraft and if you fly drones or anything like that you know that they have obstacle avoidance built in Mm -hmm. so these things built into the future aircraft that are going to be flying us around are going to be huge, you know, and increasing safety and all of these things, you know, but the infrastructure that we have now, the big job is preserving it for what is to come. And that's, what's coming, uh, you know, vertiports and, mm-hmm. you know, qu- small quads and all of these things are going to become cheaper and cheaper and more and more accessible. So, so it is, it's, uh, so one of our big battles, uh, like in Los Angeles, it's the same in New York. I think most people don't understand we're preserving the heliports because we need that infrastructure because what's coming is going to need it and more. Is there so, a lot of pressure uh, to shut down heliports and because oh, of, because pressure. of noise? Yeah. 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 Huge, huge pressures. And, uh, but at the same time, they want their Amazon packages 
And uh, those are going to start coming, you know, in it's not going to be long before they're going to be coming by through air, right. through a drone dropping off packages or at least to a central point. So, so yeah, I mean, things are moving quickly and I think uh, the average person, you know, can't even envision it. So why would you even think of preserving infrastructure now? Because, you know, as I know, once an airport goes away, it doesn't ever come back. Right. It's rare for, I mean, who's building new airports anywhere? Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. Yeah, they go away. They don't come back. Yeah, so we're uh, preserving his stuff. Kind of waiting to see what happens with Santa Monica Airport over here. There's so much pressure. I mean, I think they were saying it was going to be shut down by 2020. Yeah, they were talking about it. Yeah, they want to shut it down by, I think, 2022. But I don't see it happening. Just because, like, yeah. I think LAX needs that buffer, you know, like, before you actually get into the Bravo. I think, like, that Delta serves as, like, a way to... No, it is. Facilitate. It cuts off. You know what it does is all it does is add more pressure to all the other airports. Uh, it makes all the other places noisier. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think I, I think they stopped stopped accepting government funds at Santa Monica uh, with the idea of closing down, but then they didn't have a good closing down plan, and that could be part of it too. And we're dealing with the same thing on the East Coast with East Hampton Airport. They don't want to accept any more funds so that they can shut down. They're scheduled to shut down this year. I believe it is. Yes. This year in September. And if they shut that down, you know what it does? It just increases the pressure on all the other airports around it. Business moves and the noise doesn't really go away. Mm-hmm. It just pushes it around. around. So it don't really solve the problem that they were after. Yeah. Um, it just pushes it to other areas. We'll, we'll uh, see how that ends up as well. We've got the same thing out here. And I remember Santa Monica was an issue even when I was flying in LA. So it's always been it's an always issue. It's always been an issue. <laughs> yeah, it's a long yeah, time. Yeah, I know. It's There's so many things. Time. I mean, so much stuff going on. But yeah, preserving it's going to be important because all those people, it's not going to be long till those two-person quads or those four-person quads are going to be something they want to they want to fly around try at least in the backyard. And, I can't yeah. wait for that to happen. <laughs> like you're talking about it, I'm like yes, yes. Yeah, I, you, I, I, I mean, I can that. absolutely see that. I can see, I can see. Uh, you program, you get in, you program your GPS where you're going, and the ATC system schedules this GPS flight plan for you at an altitude and an airspeed and everything to keep you safe. And you've got obstacle, you know, you've got uh, all of your proximity devices on board that keeps you from hitting anything if they've got you low level and an aircraft is coming, it'll call it out and it'll make adjustments, you know, so like an advanced TCAS system. And this is the general public uh, that maybe doesn't have that, you know, you're used to driving a car, but you're not used to having to look below you and, you know, and all these other places that normal people that drive in a car don't look. So it's going to be a transition. And the best way to do that, I think, is just to plan someone's GPS routing, send them on their way and get them there safely. And they may have to wait for a window to yeah. jump in on their on their track. So I think it's great. And I think um, that it, it does help with the roads. There's definitely a traffic issue in L.A., yeah. How far out do you imagine this type of a massive transition would take, you know, from now? How many years from now do you think before we actually get there? Well, I think that the technology, once again, is going to push the FAA. It is pushing the FAA and it is pushing, um, manu- you know, manufacturers are pushing the system 
Uh, and it's great, though, because, you know, you don't want to wait on the system to create all the rules before the technology comes. Um, we kind of have to adjust as we go and adapt as we go. Uh, you know, just from the meetings I attend and the people I listen to, I know in the next five, uh, you know, in the next, what, 10 years or so, we're not looking at pilots to go away. Mm-hmm. Not at this point. What we're looking at is, you know, is packages being delivered and piloted aircraft to take people around, maybe with hybrid or, you know, partially electric vehicles to start with. I think that there's going to be a transitionary period, but the technology, once it, it's already taking off. Mm-hmm. So once it, once it takes hold and, and a lot of other people start getting into the game, yeah, straight up. Straight right? up. Straight that up. curve is going to go so fast. <laughs> Just... Yeah. And if you're already a VTOL pilot, which we are, mm-hmm. um, then that's where you're headed. Uh, you know, the, the, people are going to be looking for pilots. So just like uh, people, uh, you know, the people were looking for drone or UAS pilots, they're, they're still going to be lo- looking for VTOL pilots. So if you look around, Bell helicopters changed their name. They're now Bell. Uh, you know, if you, uh, HAI is in the process of looking at, uh, you know, a name change because the future is not just helicopter. The future is everything vertical, takeoff, and land. Those are the, that's where we're going. We're going just anything vertical. And who knows what's, what that's going to look like. But I think opening up to that and, and going through that transition is, is where we are, especially younger people getting into the industry now. Mm-hmm. You know, they're worried, about, they're worried about all kinds of issues like jobs and everything else. I think it's the, the rails are greased jump on because this is an industry this is an industry that you'll be needed in you know if you can fly an aircraft that hovers i think they're just going to get easier and easier to fly yeah mm-hmm. so and you guys probably know the more advanced aircraft you get in it's actually easier, easier. to fly it. easier you know the bigger the aircraft and the more automation it has it's all of a sudden you're like Oh, yeah, I don't have like to do anything. I <laughs> yeah, I have it's nightmares little. all the time that I have to jump back in an R22 and I'm like, I don't know how to fly this thing anymore. <laughs> you should have you should have saw me senior. I, I started instructing again part time. When the first time I got up uh, with the, one of my good friends is an instructor and the chief pilot at a uh this place and um I got up with them in the 44 and when I picked up, I was like what is happening? Like, I was like, I was like, what? you even thought I was, I was like such a noob. I got, I got up. I was like, I was like, hey, don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me. I'm getting, I'm getting this. Hold on, just give me a couple minutes. You know, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome for you to do it to go back and and appreciate where you came from. I yeah. mean, it's a big deal. I mean, for me, coming from the military, I flew large aircraft from the start. I flew a Huey. Mm-hmm. You know, all through flight school. So, you know, the single engine turbine. I didn't know that uh, that civilian pilots on the outside were flying R-22s or Schweitzers. Or, and then later, after all of that, I went to fly a Schweitzer to get my CFI. And the appreciation was quick mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. okay. I see. Yeah. What, I see. What, I see what all the hubbub was about. I got it. Yeah, it, it is. It's. Uh, it's different. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a total appreciation for both sides. So I think uh, I think the civilian trained background and the military background that we both have so many different skills and and, and together working with all these different people that bring different skills to the table um, just really makes a well-rounded workplace when you all come from different places with different experiences to pull from. I think it's, it's perfect. Yeah, I love it. 
Well, Justin out there on Instagram, I hope that answered your question. I got a guy asking me today what I thought the industry was going to look like in 10 to 15 years. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it changes year to year. Yeah. But, you know, this is actually, you know, hopefully, yeah, this, been... hopefully, hopefully this helped you out out there. Yeah. I can't wait for those quads <laughs> you were talking about. Man, I was like, oh, I know. Man, I'm going to buy one of those I... ASAP. I know it's exciting. It was a few years ago at the Heli Expo. Um, there was this little quad. It was like a matte blue. It was gorgeous. I think I have a picture of it on my phone. And uh, uh, they had some video with a guy in a flight suit test flying it. It was a two seater. And I was like, well, where'd you fly it? You know, I wanted all the information. Yeah. Oh, we just flew it. We trekked it in here, but we've been flying, test flying it, and it flies great. And we're just working out, you know, all the different issues that, that come. So, I mean, the technology is amazing and, and the hybrid technology and the backup, you know, when something fails, you know, this is going to back it up. And yeah, especially if they're quads with coaxial, you know, if you've got two rotor systems, if one goes out, you've got one that picks up speed, you know, for your RPM and the others that compensate. So the emergency procedures are already being worked through and it, it is amazing. I mean, all that test stuff, um, I can absolutely geek out when I listen to someone yeah. talk about, it. you know, oh, the failures and this happened and we did this and this is when we discovered something. So uh, failures is like an opportunity to learn. To learn and so, grow. So I love those. Yeah, bless love that person's story. heart. I know. Yeah, well, I was like, you're talking about it. I'm like, I don't want to be a test pilot for that. <laughs> like, yeah. I appreciate you wherever you're at in the world. You wouldn't pay me enough. I'd be like, ah. I'll wait for the I'll wait for the beta two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it'll all be worked out and it'll all automatically adjust RPM and everything. And then probably you'll hit a home button and it'll take you to a nice, beautiful little landing spot in your driveway. Yeah. I mean, the, um, my buddy has a Cirrus jet, the SF 50 and there's an RTB button, just a return to base. So if the pilot becomes incapacitated, all the passenger has to do is just hit that red button and it'll find the nearest approach bring you all the way down to the runway shut down the engines on the runway and just completely hands off it's kind of insane but i would imagine that same kind of technology would be used that's in crazy the future. that's that pretty bad it's pretty cool yeah it's pretty cool it makes you feel real safe yeah i'd be like ah it's okay i'm gonna go imc <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that'd be great ILS. I slept through the whole thing. It's like you get woken up by the wheels hitting the the runway, just like oh, oh my god. Oh, we're here. <laughs> Crazy. Welcome back everybody. <laughs> Thank you for flying sleepy air. Oh, yeah. man. No, so for all those questions, people that are worried about should I be studying to become a pilot or paying all this money to become a pilot because it looks like we're not going to need pilots. Well, I think we're going to need pilots for a while. For a long time. Think, people yeah, are going to be ready for, I know the airlines are talking about going down to at least like single pilot with all the automation and That'd everything. Crazy. Yeah. But even yeah, people but, aren't like ready for that even. Yeah. And I think that's the big point is that, is that you have to, you have to make people comfortable. So in that uh, they're going to want to make everyone feel as safe as possible and two pilots a trained crew uh one to back up the other i mean that's that's perfect mm -hmm. uh, so i mean i'm sure there are many aircraft a single pilot can fly and land just fine mm -hmm. but having two is just that extra insurance think, that every person that pays for an airline ticket wants 
No, for sure. When I when I was flying for the regionals, I I really liked the crew dynamic of um, flying and just having like these check checks and balances and the standards like upheld. So like it was just it was comforting to know that everything had a yes or no. There was no gray area. It was like this is what we're doing and that's that. You know, yeah. so like it, it was pretty it takes cool. the stress out of it. It does experience, but you know, I wonder just with younger generations that are growing up, like Gen Z and below, growing up with so much technology. I wonder if they'll be a little bit more on board with going into more automation and maybe single pilot. Kids growing up with uh, all the drones these days. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. open to it. I mean, you know, in in the reverse too. Look how quickly they adapted to masks. They, yeah. they without question, they'll just put their masks on. So yeah. anything can become normal. So it's the good with the bad. And that's what mm-hmm. I thought. All the little kids, like they know exactly when to put those masks on, exactly when they can take them off. They're much better at this than we are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they True find story. it a lot less. They just kind of go with it. Oh, this is the new normal. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess this is, what, this is what we're doing. So, I know. I saw yeah. a, an actual robot going down the street the other day on Main Street in Santa Monica, like a little square robot with an antenna sticking up. And I'm like... Oh my God, we're there. We have robots going down the street and stopping at crosswalks. Like what is happening? And it's like this new food delivery system that they're trying out, which I'm sure there's some guy sitting at home with, you know, in his mom's basement with a remote control, you know, (laughs) delivering food to people with this little robot thing. But it was so cute. But yeah, it was definitely a sign of the times. Like, oh oh my gosh. I felt the same way. I was uh, down in Santa Monica and I saw a robot dog. Like it was just like walking around. I'm like, what the heck is that? <laughs> and like oh, it was wow. like a robot. But dog. you know, Actually, too, that, that is a, a drone system. won the uh, what is it the uh, an HAI award uh, for uh, for organ trans transport. So um, yeah. at HAI, uh, we had to go, the board had to change the ruling process because it's only ever been helicopters uh, that can you know helicopter associated companies that can win these awards. So we've had to change it to urban air mobility unmanned or drone Mm -hmm. and and they were able to win an award by by doing an organ transplant that was in a university of maryland right um yeah Yeah. and Uh i know i remember seeing that and just thinking uh, i'm out of the job (laughs) 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 great concept though just think uh you know if it flies gps uh, say fog Mm-hmm. Maybe you couldn't fly in fog and land on the the heliport or whatever it, you know whatever the case may be, or it's too risky right. to send humans. So you send a drone. A drone I, I think instead. it's, it's yeah. really we've had great to turn concept. down many a flights for weather. Even just hopping over the hill from Van Nuys to Santa Monica on the other side of the hill, marine layer rolls in and boom, completely engulfs UCLA, and you can't land there. So I mean that would be an amazing alternative. When we finally get there. Yeah, and, I, and I think that the GPS routing and approach procedures, so right, uh, so for my company, for instance, um, we have a helipad, and during bad weather, we couldn't get to it. So we, it took about a year, it was a year-long process to get a point in space, a GPS point in space approach directly to our helipad. And um, and that process, the length of it, and you know, if flying a helicopter into it, perhaps that whole process gets automated and sped up mm-hmm. for future aircraft because there's going to be so many more of them, and they are going to point in space uh, locations. They're not going 
to, to an airport or an airport mm-hmm. where there can be 12 different approaches for that airport. They're going to a point on top of a hospital. Uh, and so air ambulance companies create approaches to their hospitals. So quads and what everything's going to be using those approaches and more will have to be created. So the infrastructure needs to grow. So it's uh, yeah, it's just exciting times. There's a lot to do. And if you are if you're good with algorithms and you understand aviation and you uh, like how approaches work, uh, there's work. Mm-hmm. There's work for you in the future to make these point in space GPS approaches. How long was the process? That. About a year. No, it was about a year. And uh, it's we have a little heliport. It's a helipad, actually, just north of Philadelphia. There's There's an airport about four miles to the north of us. So what we were doing was we would do the GPS, you know, approach into the airport, and then we'd hang a left and fly underneath the uh, the, the cloud ceiling mm-hmm. for four miles until we made it. Well, some days that can get pretty sketchy. Right. So what we needed was an approach where we break out, we see the pad, and if we don't, we just go, go around. around. So so mm-hmm. that's what we have, awesome. and it has paid itself off in spades. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it costs, you know, probably a little over $30,000 by the end of it, but the, the time and the money and everything it saved us, the many times that we've gotten to use it, it's just something that yeah, we'd never go back. How high is yeah. the minimum for you guys to break out of the ceiling AGL? This one's at about just over 600 feet. So it's not as low as you can get. But And the reason why is we're, we're in a kind of a ridge valley. There's a river there. The thing is, is uh, from the airport, there are antennas and hilly areas in between for four miles. If four miles doesn't sound like a lot, but when weather and visibility have dropped considerably, you don't yeah, want to be flying around all of those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, as you're going lower and lower and slower and slower, you're, you're like clenching, your mouth salivating. You're like, I yeah, don't know. You go back I to the be. airport. Yeah. So, yeah, this is part of being a helicopter pilot is these are considerations that don't often come up when you're I mean, uh, I'm sorry, but airline pilots don't make the approach into um, LAX and then hang a left to go park it in somebody's you know, on the top of a building mm-hmm. or, you know, on a, you know, on a helipad somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember, I have a memory of flying in. I was on, um, was on a copter approach into one of the major airports out here in LaGuardia. And, uh, we flew the approach and, and then hung a right. And I beelined it for East 34th street. And the guy I was with had been flying jets for the last 12 years. And he said, how do you know where to go? from there. You know, you break off of the approach and there's no lighting configuration to lead you there. There's no runway lighting. There's nothing. And I said, well, we just went from IMC to, you know, VMC. You know, I I know where it is because there's the building. You know, there's the river that, you know, I'm I'm dead reckoning at this point. Plus I have a GPS. (laughs) But, uh, but, you know, it's it's familiarity with the area that you fly in. And then we'll take off via far down the river. And then we go to the middle of the river and we pop back up into the clouds and join an IFR route to get out of the city. So uh, this VFR to IFR to VFR is not something that's really that you're doing in the airlines. It's a completely mm-hmm. different mindset and, and you have to prepare for it. Otherwise it'd be like, yeah, there's the runway. Um, I've just broke out. Now I can see this big giant happy airport that's drawing me in, but I can't land there. Either. <laughs> so, but, you know, I mean, this is how we operate, yep. but this isn't what typical airline people uh, think. Yeah. Uh, they're like, you did what? 
and then you went VFR for the next three miles. So, so it is, it's different. It's a different, uh, it's a different kind of flying and that the sort of automation that gets you to that point, it'll be good in the future if it gets you GPS, you know, exactly to where you need to go. Yeah, exactly Mm -hmm. where you need to go because in the future, people aren't going to be professional pilots, but they may have, you know, an aircraft. So it'll have to be a little bit, it'll have to be some sort of road in the sky, whether that's a green line your aircraft is is following or something. Or so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got the magenta line, the green box, if you're in a Cirrus, you know, the boxes that you shoot an approach down through. So I'm going to say your, uh, really your cool spidey stuff. senses to get to where you need to go are so on point. <laughs> <laughs> just be like, I just could exactly. feel yeah. where I'm supposed to fly to. Oh, there's the heliport. Crazy. <laughs> like, wow. How yeah. did you do it? Oh, I'm just that good. I no, use I a little Kentucky windage. <laughs> yeah. What's Kentucky uh, windage? Um, you know, like when you're shooting. Oh, no, know. I don't. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> nah, that's a different, different episode. <laughs> Got it, got it. Although I did shoot expert while I was in the Coast Guard. I did, I did. I had good aim. She showed me a video. You were Coast Guard, and what were you, Jose? I I was in the Army as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, in the Army. Yeah, I was uh, was in the 82nd um, for about five years. uh, Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was a grunt, though, so I didn't fly. (laughs) Okay. No, I mean, there's a lot of... I have a friend of mine... um, uh, that was Coast Guard. She wasn't a pilot in the Coast Guard, but she came out and she does military to civilian and she's now a pilot though. Oh, yeah? But she was name? a crew. She's a crew member while she was in. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to go aviation, but at the time it was moving so slowly. I joined, went to boot camp, and then they I got sent to a station as a non-rate and they told me it was gonna be two years until I could get into an aviation related job. So that was half of my enlistment. So it didn't really make sense for me to go that direction. And I just became a mechanic at the station that I was at was, uh, messy and, uh, just needed to get out of there. So I threw my name on the quickest list to get out of there. (laughs) I was a wrench turner. Yeah. Basically they were like, Oh, I think that there's a leak down there in the build. You're small, right? I'm like, there's 30 foot seas out here. Ah, You'll be fine. (laughs) You know, my legs sticking up out of all the, (laughs) trying to figure out where this stupid leak is. Yeah. It was a miserable existence. I really hated my life. (laughs) Not going to lie, but you know, and in 2011, they opened up everybody's contract and they said, if you want to get out, you can get out. They had a huge budget cut for Homeland Security. And I was planning on getting out early and then Deepwater Horizon happened and I was stationed on a patrol boat out of Miami and like, you're not going anywhere. So we ended up having to go to Pascagoula, Mississippi for three months patrolling the outside of the oil spill. And But when I, when I got out, a couple of years later, I ended up going to flight school and getting it all paid for, which was primo. Primo, yeah. I, I think I probably had over two hundred thousand dollars worth of flight training paid for by the GI Bill between wow. helicopter and airplane training. Wow. Yeah, I had an NVG course. I had a turbine transition. I what? Had, yeah. Crazy. This was back in the day when the VA was actually willing to pay for all of this stuff, and yeah, exactly. now nowadays. Uh, They've pulled out of a lot of schools. Uh, a lot of schools are taking advantage of the VA and kind of ruined it for everybody. So yeah. there's still a couple of, of universities out there that have pretty solid 
uh, flight programs that people can do, use the GI Bill for, like Southern Utah University. And Leading Edge up Leading in Edge. Oregon. Yeah. So, Stacy, I remember reading in the Rotor Magazine article about you that you used to teach a class on networking at Heli Expo, and you also teach a mill-to-civilian class that teaches people what to expect when you're transitioning from military uh, flying to civilian flying, which is really important because there's not a lot of resources out there for that. We talk a lot about networking and mentorship in this podcast, but coming from an expert such as yourself, what are some of your pointers, advice when it comes to networking in this industry? And can you tell us a little bit about the military to civilian workshops that you put on? You need a network of people uh, with similar interests to help advise and guide you along. Uh, certainly, you you know anyone can do this on their own, but... This is such a small aviation in general is such a small industry and and basically we all share a similar passion. So when it gets down to it, if you walk up to someone in aviation, they have a similar passion as you. And they may not realize it, but they everyone has the ability to mentor someone else even if they don't feel like that they're experienced enough to be a mentor. They are. So if you have a mentor, if you're networking, if you're talking to other people, you see some somebody doing something you want to do and you ask them, hey, how did you get to where you are? What, you know, how did you get there? What did you do? Find out what they did and and ask them for advice. And then uh, you'll get on the road to the place you want to be in a shorter amount of time, truly. And along the way, you can do the same thing for everybody else that's following you up. Because why figure it out all by yourself when there's just this huge number of people out there that love this industry so much, love what they do, and just want to share it with you and show you how to do it. I don't think uh, there's not too many people out there that wouldn't reveal, you know, everything they know to help somebody else to save them a little bit of time or trouble or help somebody else out. Um, I know that, um, for military to civilian transitions, it's this huge thing. Um, you know, I was I was transitioning out of the military. I had no idea, uh, you know, what was required, what my resume should look like. Um, I I could piece together how to maybe show up for an interview, how to dress. I didn't know the questions exactly what they were going to ask me, what that might entail. I didn't know I might go on a flight. Uh, there are a number of things I didn't know. So why not ask somebody? Uh, why not ask mm -hmm. someone that does the hiring for that company? Because they will be willing to prepare you and get you ready for interviews. Um, I have a number of friends that do hiring for different companies and they can be reached and found on LinkedIn and you just ask them questions and they'll help you. Um, so yeah, the information is there. All you have to do is make the first step and ask a question and, and ask a question and, and especially resumes, you know, that's, that's one of the big things I have several articles on my LinkedIn profile. And one of them is resumes that include kind of military to civilian. Here's how it should look. Here's, it should be one page. It should be very clean, easy to read, not too messy, not full of all that military fluff. You mm -hmm. know, if you were a nuclear, biological, chemical, uh, you know, trainer or an officer or whatever, yeah, it's probably not something a helicopter operator would be looking for. So you might be able to leave that off. So, um, there's a number of questions. So, um, and, and logging time, that's a big one in the military. Um, 
most, uh, I would say most pilots don't keep their own logbook in the military. They let the military uh, keep it for them. And in that, uh, the military doesn't keep it in accordance with the FARs. Uh, even though most military pilots have a pilot certificate, after they graduate, they go and get their pilot certificate. So they are an FAA certificated pilot, and they're not keeping a logbook in accordance with the FARs. It's just stuff you don't know until you get out. That. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, stuff, stuff you don't know. And then there's a lot of questions even, you know, it's funny because I've, I've been on the civilian side for a long time now. And um I've had civilian trained pilots ask me, well, you know, I've noticed that we hired a pilot that came out of, you know, the military and, uh, you know, they're never flying directly from the airport to the location that we've asked them to go. They're, they're going outside of airspace. Uh, you know, hmm. they're not talking to anyone. They're not flying A to B. They're kind of circumnavigating airspace and things like that. And it's like, oh, well, well, depending on, you know, what service they were in, perhaps they are shy to talk to, you know, tower controllers or don't understand the concept or that time is money here. Because in the military, you know, you plan to leave at a certain time and arrive at a certain time. How you get there, if it's not A to B, it may not be as big of a deal. But on the civilian side, it's about making, you're making money. It's a very mm-hmm. expensive aircraft. This is uh, a lot of fuel cost. Uh, if you can fly A to B, well, you should be flying. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you're <laughs> you going to be called into the office like, so. <laughs> Why are you wow. doing What are so, you doing? Depending on where you come from, you, might, you, you might think about how you do things in a different way. So, you know, and I said, well, just mention it to them. Tell them, don't be shy. Yeah. Go direct. That's how we do it. You know, and, and there's just a lot of little tiny, peculiar things that you might see a military trained person do. Uh, just because that's how they learned how to do it. Right. Well, that's what they're. Law of primacy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Exactly. And it's a transition to learn that, oh, this is another way. And it actually mm-hmm. works pretty well. And it's what the bosses want me to do. Right. So, you kind of so, do what they say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's just a lot of little things. And, uh, and uh, the transition, it's bigger than than actually flying it's uh leaving the military and uh, you're leaving after many many years of someone your paycheck arriving on time you know what you're going to wear to work every day you know where to go if you get sick you know where the dentist is you know where everything is everything's you know you pay for it but it's paid for and you're getting out and you have no medical insurance no dentist no you know you're gonna have to find a job make a living and pay your rent or your mortgage you lose all that security. It's a scary thing. And, uh, and it's a, it takes a, it's a transition. It's something that needs to be prepared for. And not everybody knows everything that's coming and not everybody knows how expensive life is or can be. So, you know, when you've lived in that, and both of you know, you lived in that military life, it's sort of a small little utopia. Everything's taken care of, you know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You get orders for the next place. Movers come take your stuff you know, it's all done and it's very orderly and you get out of the military and it's chaos. Yeah. You have to do everything and you don't even know where to start. So it's, it's scary and confusing and there's, there doesn't seem to be any order to it. And so I think that that's a big thing for a lot of people getting out. 
Do you have any webinars coming up currently for military to civilian transition? I did one. There's a there's currently one uh, webinar that's in the the logs for Mil to Civ this year. I think they are coming out with a, another one, and I think we're going to try to get some different people on it this time. But I think there were about four or five of us on on the last one. So Mil to Civ you know, HAI webinar. It's on the website with a lot of other webinars, depending on your interests, what you want to listen to or watch. But yeah, and, and all of the people usually in every one of the webinars in HAI, they'll put their LinkedIn, you know, you can access them and ask them questions. So oh, that's great. That's so, a yeah. great resource. Yeah, that is really good. And your LinkedIn profile, you said you had a couple of resources for people as well. Uh, oh, yeah. sure Re- resume like, templates. Yeah, resume templates. You're totally connected across the board in the industry. So I'm sure people out there will be able to connect with you somehow. <laughs> you know, we're like oh, one yeah. degree of separation in this industry. So. Small, right? <laughs> it it's is small. small. No, I have tons of, I have uh, at least two resume templates for maintenance technicians and also for helicopter pilots. They, um, you, anybody can use them. You don't have to come from the military, but they're built to kind of help military people see what it's supposed to look like and what they can make theirs look like. Uh, for civilian people, use the same kind of um, template. Uh, you know, and it's pretty simple. I write an article on it, one page, clean. Here's the information from the top to the bottom. What it, you know, what it should have in it? Um, because honestly, when you're looking for a job, a resume is a great thing. You want it to reflect who you are, and you want it to look just great. But a resume is honestly a formality. Uh, mm-hmm. How you want to get the job is you want to network, right? You want to show up. You want to shake hands. You want to put a face in front of the resume and say, hi, this is me. (laughs) I would say every job that I've gotten so far in aviation has been through somebody. So I think networking is really the biggest thing. I would, I pretty much follow her every, every job she has. It's like (laughs) one year later, I'm there. It's like, I'm like, hey, I got you. I got you, babe. (laughs) So, uh, are they hiring over there? I'm like, seriously? (laughs) Yes, yes, they are. Yeah, it is true. We were flight instructors in Long Beach together, and then I went out to fly Grand Canyon tours, and then like a year later, he showed up flying Grand Canyon tours, and then he went to the airlines. I went to Nyon and flew for a private owner for a little bit, and then... I came out here to Helinet. Well, I was about to go into the airlines. I was on my way to SkyWest. And like a month before my start date, I got the call from Helinet saying that they had a charter position open. And I think my heart was just way more in helicopters than it was flying for the airlines. And doing the organ transplant stuff was just calling me a little bit stronger, I guess. And uh, yeah, I did a quick 180, went to Helinet. And then yeah, like a year later. Yeah. <laughs> it's like then, clockwork. Then COVID hit and oh, uh, yeah. my oh, company went out of business. His company went out of business. I was supposed to actually be up in Alaska this summer and I had quit Helinet and I was about to go fly for North Star just because I wanted the experience of flying in Alaska. And I was like, you know what? Why not? I mean, it's like a 50% pay cut, but you know, I just wanted the experience of getting Alaska time yeah. and then COVID hit. And Canada closed down their borders. I'm like, oh man, I really don't think there's going to be a season this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, immediately <laughs> called my old chief pilot. Like, Can I please have my job back? <laughs> Luckily, he hadn't filled my spot yet, so yeah. uh, got saved if, a little bit there if, for if, COVID. If I took her spot, I'd be like, "You're not welcome, Senorita." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the airlines. Uh, the airlines are coming back as well now. I mean, luckily, everything's starting to slowly snail's pace back. But yeah, I understand the pull um, on the helicopter side. And 
you've probably noticed how it's full of um, passionate jobs like air ambulance and organ transplant. These are things that are personally satisfying. You know, helping other people is a common is a common passion I see mm-hmm. uh, among amongst everyone and, you know, in general, but especially helicopter people, they're really chasing not just a job, but a passion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and it, and it's part of your happiness. So with, uh, I see that a lot in helicopter pilots and, and depending on where you go, you know, you'll, you'll take a little less money to live in a great geographical location or, you know, do a job that just makes your, you know, your inside happy you know, yeah. you're hard happy. So you have to be happy. And that's, oh, that's sure. what we're all after. I know. I just, um, I fly a Citation 10, um, aside from working at Helinet personally, like flying helicopters is just, it's different. It's different. It's just, I don't know. It's something I love. It, it's something that I enjoy doing. Don't get me wrong. The Citation 10 is pretty cool, but like, it is pretty cool. you know, like <laughs> it, it's pretty cool, but it's just, it's a different type of flying. I love flying in general. So like flying airplanes or helicopters, is, it's all pretty cool with me. But helicopters are just like, I feel like it's a little bit more intimate. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah I feel like you're actually on the sticks a little bit more and you're, you're doing your thing. And I want to, you know, depart from the airport from my present position. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, taxiways, what? <laughs> Anybody use <Yeah>. taxiways? <laughs> <laughs> that was a learning curve when I got to Chicago O'Hare my first time. And I, it took us about 50 minutes to get to the gate, you know, after we landed. And I was like, what the F is going on here? Uh, like, yeah. I looked at the captain. I'm like, bro, <laughs> like, I don't even know what they told I don't even know what they it told me right now. In my job right now, we, we have a, a Gulfstream 550. Mm. And so the helicopter oftentimes will, will go to the, uh, you know, the work the helipad, pick up the passengers and then drop them off at the jet. The jet flies away. Uh, say they come back into Philly. We go fly in to meet the jet and grab the passengers. And we've flown in to meet the jet mm-hmm. and waited, waited, <laughs> and waited. It's a taxi. They were there. They were just taxiing yeah. across, you know, a couple of runways in Philly. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my God. You, and we're texting. Are you guys coming? <laughs> We're like yeah. we got so much jet fuel burning here. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Should we shut down? <laughs> and so yeah, and so I, I feel for them. And then the boss gets on and he's like, "Oh my god, what are we like? It yeah. took us forever, twenty minutes, just to get to the helicopter." Yeah. So we're thinking, can we pick up and go to them? But yeah, international <laughs> request to land on uh, uh, Foxtrot three to pass to get a passenger change out. Yeah. We'll be at QO. We'll be at QO. Yeah. <laughs> Tara, can we just go to them? We're kind of running behind schedule. Yeah, I'm gonna run out of gas sitting here on the tarmac. So, but <laughs> you yeah, should, should be like minimum fuel. I have to go pick up my passenger. <laughs> <laughs> but you're on the you're on the tarmac. What you, like, what are you doing? Minimum fuel. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Well, gosh, Stacy, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. You are such an inspiration to. You know, prospective pilots around the world. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. You have so much experience and knowledge to share with, with everybody and with the world. And we have listeners all around the globe, too. So yeah. we're very popular in Sweden, actually, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Yeah. Number two. <laughs> we're number, number two, two aviation podcast you, Sweden, in Sweden. You know? Yes. Oh, shout out wow. to my Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> 
not sure what uh, our number two is, but yeah, we we have listeners on almost every yeah. continent. Yeah, it was funny when we got the when she told me about. it. I was like, "What? <laughs> Am I going to be the next Joe Rogan?" <laughs> That's right. Watch out, Joe. We're coming for you forever on the fly. Diane and Jose, we're, we're, we're getting there. Shake and bake. <laughs> but no, thank you, Senorita, so much for coming on. And man, your resume is kick ass. I was like, dang, man. I sent it to you in a Word doc so you can fashion it with your stuff yeah. in there. I'm just going to take your name out and put mine. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, oh, why I was like, should I send the PDF or the doc? I'm like, I'm all about the All template. the doc, <laughs> template. I got the Stacy Sheard template. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My here. template, well, I mean, I didn't invent the thing, of course, but that exact template is everywhere. Yeah. You will see it again and again and again. We do resume reviews at Heli Expo. For free, and um, and you you'll see them again and again and again. And everyone's like, "Hmm, where are these coming from?" (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should be so proud of yourself. You're making a difference in the industry, and for well, hey, I want us all to look good. I don't want to look. I don't want us to look a hot mess when we go in for an interview. I want everybody ready. You know, all all that stuff is the fluff. Anyway, they're hiring you. That's just the papers that accompany you. Why stress over that? Just all of this. Get the paperwork. <laughs> yeah, it's all yeah. you right all in there. All this. this. That's right. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, yeah, I know. There's, there's this way too much to talk about. In, um, I know. In we everything. could talk to you forever, for real. I don't even know how, how long. It, what time is it right now? It's four eleven. Yeah. I mean, we've been going a little over an hour. So, Dang, yeah, great. We man. got some great content. Yeah. We, we usually like to keep it down to about an hour. So a couple of our episodes are a little over, but which is totally fine because it's such good information. You know what? It's People awesome. will, will sit like through it. it. We get so much good feedback from people out there through Instagram. By the way, everybody out there who's sending us really amazing reviews to our Instagram, go ahead and copy and paste that over to Apple Podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> that would yeah. be great. Yeah. <laughs> really but. would really appreciate that. It helps us circulate the episodes a little bit more. It spreads the word and it helps get the information further. So um, we're not doing that just for our own vanity being like, oh, say nice things about us. But it really does help circle the information. So if you if people out there are enjoying the podcast and you believe it's useful information that more people should listen to, leave a review on Apple Podcasts and it'll help spread the word and get it out there. So, oh my gosh, I can't wait for HAI Heli Expo. I I can't wait. Yes. Dallas. I'm going to see you there. Yeah, we're going to see you there. Yeah. I'm going to buy you your first margarita. Do you drink? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you buy me a drink. I'm yours for as long as it takes to drink that drink. And yeah, you can ask me almost. Yeah. Yeah. Anything. I have three more templates where that one came from. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. all it takes. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, you're a smooth Absolutely. criminal, Senorita. Like, man, this interview went by like quick, quick. Man, Senorita Stacy was a pretty cool chick. Yeah, she's dope. Yeah, you know, I, I can't believe where this industry's going. You know, she like kind of opened up my eyes to a whole new different ball game of where I think helicopters are going to go. Yeah, I mean, she... Like, you can just feel her excitement. Like, she literally was so lit up during this conversation when she was talking about the future of, like, quads and, you know, VTOL aircraft and where we're heading. And I get a lot of people that approach me who are thinking about going to flight school and they just don't know if getting into aviation, if it's the right timing or 
I mean, who, who knows? Like, when is the right timing? I don't know, but in this industry, it like changes year to year. But I think, I mean, I think we're definitely going more into electric <laughs> or hybrid vehicles, which is cool. It's going to be better for the environment. It's going to be quieter. It's going to improve traffic. But it's super cool. You just think about like the Jetsons. Oh yeah, you know <laughs> we're heading like, there. Not only that, but like I just feel even right now. I know we're just barely getting through the pandemic, but the aviation market as a whole, I think it's going to be on the up and up. Yeah, for and sure. we're always going to need pilots, at least system monitors. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be fully autonomous when it comes to certain things. And it's going to take a while before right? people get comfortable, especially. Like, passenger carrying aircraft for people to feel comfortable with automation that much automation but yeah it's uh i definitely think we're heading towards an exciting time i think that the industry is not going to go away anytime soon and if people want to get involved with aviation it's actually kind of the perfect time to start right now because in a couple of years even like in this next year the airline business is going to go it's going to skyrocket. And before the pandemic, there was already a pilot shortage and the airlines were really desperate for people to start flying for them. And when travel comes back in a big way, which it will, they're going to need a lot of hands on deck, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, both in the airlines and in the helicopter Helicopter industry. industry. Yeah, I mean, we it's insane. I would see from the beginning of when I started my career going to Heli Expo, and you'd go to the job fair. There were lines out the door when I first started. And, you know, with, with people having their resumes and networking. And the last one that I went to, it was like a ghost town in the, in the job fair part of the mm-hmm. part of the um, expo. Yeah. There weren't that many people. I was like, where are all the people? Where are all the flight instructors that are looking for their next step? Where are they? And honestly, I mean, it's just there's a shortage across the board. And I think a big part of it has to do with how expensive it is. Yeah. Um, And the qualified pilots for the position. Right. You know? Totally. So I definitely think there's going to be a need for both helicopter pilots and airplane pilots, you know, after two years from now. So if somebody started flight school today and got all of their flight ratings in the next two years, I think that the job market is going to be wide open. And then that's my my personal take on it. I, I Very similar take. Yeah, you yeah, agree? I do agree. Cool, man. So we've all been kind of bummed with the pandemic and all of the cancellation of all of our amazing networking events and air shows and places where people who have a similar passion for aviation can gather in the world. And uh, we're going to go over uh, now that things are starting to open up and organizations are starting to put shows on again. They're starting to put networking events on again. Uh, the top three networking aviation events that we could come up with in order here. Here they are. Oshkosh 2021. The EAA Air Venture is back this year. Hallelujah. July 26th to August 1st. So go ahead and get your tickets now, folks, because it's online. The NBAA, the National Business Aviation Association, they're going to be hosting an event in Las Vegas October 12th through 14th. That's going to be a great networking event and uh, make sure you guys go online and check that out if that's something you're interested in as well. HAI Heli Expo is also back in 2022 though, March 7th to the 10th. 
So if you already purchased your tickets for New Orleans, I believe uh, you could get a full refund back or you could have those tickets transferred transferred over over to 2022. And that's going to be in Dallas, Texas. Heck yeah. I'm going to that one for sure. Yeah, we're going to be there. So you guys better show up so we can meet all of you guys face to face. We'd love to see you there. And I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day. That's the end of the episode this week. And we'll catch you in a couple weeks. Later.